You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and it's good to be with you. Go ahead and grab a Bible uh, and turn to the book of Jonah in your Old Testament. Um, And if you don't have one yet, be sure to get a Jonah field journal. They're on the table back there. This is our last Sunday in Jonah. Oh, sad. Um, It's been a good time. I've loved this book. uh, Next week, we're going to be jumping into Mark um, and beginning our time in that particular book. Um, So this is our fourth and final Sunday. So if you're brand new with us today, uh, grab a journal, um, jot down some notes, and you'll have 25% of it already done. Um, (laughs) So uh, don't, don't not take one because we're about to wrap it up. Take one because we're about to wrap it up. Um, I do want to catch you up um, and kind of review with you uh, because really things, I don't know, there's a strange ending to Jonah as we're going to see. And I think having proper context is going to help us understand just how strange this ending really is. Um, So God commands one of his uh, prophets. um, So he gives a message to a particular person who's been set apart to be a prophet, a spokesperson, a mouthpiece for God. Right? It's what the Old Testament calls a prophet. Got one of God's Old Testament prophets was a guy named Jonah. and He was a good guy. He was a good man. He loved the Lord. He knew a lot about God. He experienced grace, kindness, steadfast love, mercy, all these things in his life. And God said, Jonah, I want you to take this message to this cruel, very, very uh, cynical, cruel, hardened, um, violent um, city, metropolis of Nineveh, the heart of the Assyrian Empire, the the cruelest of all people um, in the known world at the time. Well, Jonah says, no, I don't want to do this. We're going to go the opposite. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to run from you. And it literally says this in chapter one, that he wanted to run away from the presence of the Lord. One of God's prophets warned to run from God and his presence. Ultimately, that's what sin is, trying to do your own thing in your own way. And that's what we've looked at for our time in Jonah. Sin is running away from God, doing my own thing in my own way. You see, ultimately, Jonah, just like many of us, uh, believes that he could find satisfaction in rebelling from God. He could find fill-in-the-blank, peace, contentment, joy, pleasure. Um, He could find all these things in doing his thing his way. He believed he could find these things in not obeying the Lord. He felt like he knew better than God. He didn't trust him. So God goes after Jonah. He interrupts his rebellion, which is grace. He doesn't just let him continue onward. He interrupts this rebellion and and pulls him back to himself as he's trying to do his own thing in his own way. And that's what grace is. Grace is God's effort to pursue me and save me as I'm doing my own thing in my own way. And he does this with Jonah many times. God intervenes in Jonah's story. He interrupts Jonah's rebellion by sending uh, a catastrophic storm uh, while he was, trying to, he was in a boat trying to get away from the presence of God. And God sends a storm while he's on the water. And that storm is grace. That storm is, is God pulling Jonah back to himself. It's not pushing him away, nor is it punishing him. It's pulling him back into, into the Lord's will, back to God himself. Well, in the midst of this storm... Uh, The sailors end up throwing Jonah overboard, which meant that they got to live, but it meant that Jonah was going to die. But that was his hope. He wanted to die. What what seems like death and what seems like judgment, though, is actually grace because God continues to pursue Jonah. He sends a great fish, 
And it doesn't just swallow Jonah. This great fish rescues Jonah. This fish saves Jonah. He was dead, and God sent a fish to save him and keep him alive. But now he has, he has Jonah's attention. Now Jonah is listening to God. He's in the belly of a great fish in the depths of the sea. It's dark. There's Jonah realizing that he's alive only because God insisted that he be alive. And if Nineveh was going to be alive and experience grace, it was going to be only if God insisted that they would receive grace and be alive. He learned all this and much more while he was there in the fish. You can read about that in his prayer, in his psalm in Jonah chapter 2. Well, then the fish vomits Jonah up, and this time God tells him to go to Nineveh, and he does. He does. He does God's thing. But will he do it in God's way? That's what we looked at last week. And it says this in chapter 3 or verse 4, that he got downtown near the out, outskirts of downtown, and he, he began to go into the city, go on a day's journey. He calls out, this is his message. This is what stuck out in the, in the record, okay? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Mark it. Put it on your calendar. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be no more. And then the most surprising verse, perhaps in all of Scripture, is the following that says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. <laughs> they repented. They called for a fast, food and water. They couldn't drink or eat. They didn't allow their animals to eat or drink. They repent and they pray the best way they know how. And the king says, who knows? Perhaps God will be gracious to us. Who knows? As we looked at this last week, I love that so much. I love that, the simplicity of that question, the desperation. He doesn't say, we deserve this. We don't, he doesn't say, I, we deserve to be forgiven. We deserve to have mercy. He just says, who knows? Maybe God will be gracious. I don't know. God does, in fact, show mercy towards the people of Nineveh, and they're changed. They're humbled. Such a remarkable movement of God's grace to such a wicked people. Cruel people. He changes Nineveh. God saved Nineveh. The most remarkable revival recorded in human history. That just happened in our story. And now let's see what happens in chapter 4. But before we do, before we get to chapter 4, I want to give you a non-verse of Scripture. Okay, <laughs> This is um, not, officially, this is not Jonah chapter 3 verse 11. But I want this to be Jonah chapter 3, verse 11. And here it is, written by Jeremy, not inspired by God at all. And Jonah arose to return home rejoicing all the way for all that the Lord had accomplished. Salvation belongs to the Lord. End of story for Jonah. How cool would that be? <laughs> but that's not how it is. Let's see the shocking ending of Jonah. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. So Nineveh just experienced a revival. They're changed. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. That, ex that displeased exceedingly is to be tortured to your core. There's not, uh, there's not greater language or deeper uh, uh, language to express more dissatisfaction and hate in the Hebrew text. This is it. 
and he became enraged. He became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord. Now here, this is it. We're going to see all of the three chapters. A lot's going to make sense with this word that Jonah says here. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country at the beginning? This is why I ran to Tarshish. This is why I made haste to go to Tarshish. This is why I wanted to run from your presence and run from Nineveh. It's because I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew that you were merciful. I knew that I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I just knew it. I knew you would end up rescuing those jokers who hate you. I knew that you were going to end up being gracious to those people who don't deserve it. That's just like you to go do such a thing. That's why I never wanted to go to Nineveh to begin with. Initially, I thought Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because they were mean. They were cruel. They were violent. Savage. That's not why. He wasn't afraid of Nineveh. He was afraid that God would be nice. He was afraid that God would be kind. Not that Nineveh would be cruel. This is just like you to go do such a thing. This is exactly what I was afraid would happen. I just knew it. Are there people in your life, perhaps uh, deep in your past, or what you might describe as far too in the present, are there people in your life who you don't think are ever going to change, and if you're honest, you don't want them to? You want them to suffer the consequences for their actions. Are there people in your life that you don't want to have to work through forgiveness and you don't want them to ever be forgiven. If so, I bet you don't pray for them. If so, I bet you don't share the good news of Jesus with them. Are there people in your life that you don't want to ever change? A way that I've been thinking through it this week, this week is who's my Nineveh? Who's your Nineveh? And what if God is calling you to show them mercy? What if you could be the one that God would use to see them changed? And are you open for that? Jonah wasn't. I hope you are. Would you at least pray for this? And I know there is, around a question like that, it is, it's, it's loaded. It's heavy. There are people who have experienced deep harm from people. Pray for the ability to forgive them. Pray for them to be forgiven. Verse 3. He continues, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Remember when he wanted to be thrown overboard? He wanted to die. Here it is again. 
Oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Kill me. Just kill me. You know what that often is? Is an idol of our heart talking. That's not Jonah. That's something down deep within him that's off. That's, that's not the way it should be. This is, this is back to the same old Jonah that would rather drown than have the Ninevites repent. He's still not getting it. His idol of, of privilege and entitlement and perceived justice has disappointed him. It's not given him what he thought it was going to give him. And so he does what, what we all do when we experience this, this sort of betrayal by an idol, something we place our hope on and in. When we experience this sort of deep soul, heart dissatisfaction and devastation, he wants to die. He wants out. He wants to disappear. I can't face it. I can't face it. I can't do this. Just take my life. What about you? It's easy to see this in Jonah, but what about you? Like, what, what if taken away or not worked out according to your plan would make you unravel completely, like beyond repair? What if taken away would devastate you? That's probably an idol of your heart. When an idol falls off the shelf of your heart, you experience this soul-crushing devastation. You see, we make good things and bad things, but a lot of times we make good things ultimate things. We place our hope in ultimate things. We try to find satisfaction, identity, worth on certain things that just can't satisfy us. They will disappoint us every single time. When, when something is taken away from you and you end up feeling purposeless, like your identity is lost, when you end up feeling worthless, that object that was taken away is most likely an idol. It's gotten too much of your identity and uh, your life, your worth wrapped up in it. That money is just meant to show that it's not your idol and it's meant to, to bless others. It's meant to build the kingdom of God. That money is not for you to find your life in. Those children that you love, they need you to be a mommy and a daddy. Don't make them an idol. They can't live under that. And when they don't turn out the way you want them to, you will say something similar. Just take my life. I can't live like this. My kids are a wreck. You've placed your hope in something that cannot satisfy. And you're, you're not only crushing yourself, you're crushing them. They, we talk about a, a savior weight. They can't shoulder savior weight. Nothing can. And whenever you place savior weight on anything, and most often it's good things. It's not bad things. But when we place savior weight on good things, it makes them an ultimate thing as a part of our identity. It will always disappoint us. Nothing can stand under the weight. It's not engineered to be this. Only Christ and his righteousness, the rock, the Messiah, the refuge, only Jesus Christ has been engineered to withstand and hold and not buckle under Savior weight. Everything else crumbles except Christ. So we see this in Jonah, but there was something deep, deep, deep in his soul that was really going on, that was really struggling, and it was at that heart idol level. All we do, all we're to do is to place childlike faith in Jesus and what he has done for us as us. This never disappoints us. Everything else will. Everything. 
no matter how good or noble it might be. Jonah cared so much about his enemies being punished. He would rather die than see his enemies experience mercy from God. And he's beside himself. He is irate. And the Lord says to him in verse 4, Do you do well to be angry? Is it a good thing that you're angry? Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Jonah doesn't answer. He goes outside the city. This is how hardened he is. Jonah goes out of the city and he sat to the east of the city where he had a better view and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He goes and pouts outside the city and he watches the city just in case, not that they would turn and continue in obedience, just in case God's fire would fall from heaven and destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah. He was just hoping. He's like, man, I don't know why I'm out here, but there's a chance. Who knows? God might destroy these people. I'm here. I'm in it. Let's see what happens. And he watches and waits, watches and waits, hoping, oh, hoping that they would die. Verse 6, now the Lord, uniquely designed and divinely prepared a plant. Just like he did the great fish, now he appoints a plant. Just like the great fish, it means to uniquely design and divinely prepare. So the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. I love shade, y'all. I don't like it. So this is awesome. This is one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, he sweat less. This is kind of great, right? To save him from his discomfort. So he sweat like me probably. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was beside himself with joy. God grows a plant to cover Jonah from the sun. And then Jonah, our friend here, is happy for the first time. The first time there's any positive emotion from, from Jonah. This castor bean is what it is believed to be. The, the castor oil plant provides Jonah some shade, and he's so pumped over it. He loves this thing. He probably gave it a name, talking to it, snuggling up to it. He loves this plant, y'all. He's so happy. But then dawn came up the next day, and God appointed this is, again, the same thing as the fish and the plant. He uniquely designed and divinely prepared a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God teaches Jonah a lesson here, trying to get at his heart through this plant. He's using this plant, the creation of it and the destroying of it. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Fourth time we've seen this, where he uniquely designed and finally prepared something. This east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. It was coming in off the desert. And he asked that he might die. He's tried dying. 
It didn't work. So now he's asking for permission. It's better for me to die than to live. I'd rather die than go through this. But God says to Jonah, going back to a question he didn't answer, do you do well to be angry for the plant? I haven't gotten past this, Jonah. Answer this question. All this is happening so that you'll see something deeper, Jonah. Would you just answer this question? Is it right for you to be angry over the plant? That was yesterday. I know. Are you angry about it? Is it okay for you to be angry about this plant? Yes. I do well to be angry, okay? Angry enough to die. He asked him once more about his concern over this plant, his anger over this plant. And this time he answers God. Yeah, it's right for me to be angry. Angry enough to die. This is misplaced concern. He's concerned, but it's not on the right things. He's missing the point. Jonah shows up emotionally because of a plant. He can't handle a plant dying. He's not showing up emotionally with a concern and a burden because of people dying. He's apathetic towards that. He, he couldn't care less about hundreds of thousands of people dying. And I know you and I, we care about a lot of things. You talk to me, it won't be long before we're talking about Clemson football, basketball, leadership stuff, parenting, what I like about my family, projects I'm working on, pictures I want to show you. Now, I know many of you are into CrossFit and health stuff, and I love to hear what you're writing about and singing and what workouts you're doing and what foods are bad for you this week that you thought were good and what foods are good that you thought were bad and how you know, quickly this stuff changes, and we know about our takes on pandemic and illness and politics. But are we concerned with the most important things? Do we have misplaced concerns? Are we passionate about eternal things? God's word and people are the only things that are around us that are going to live forever. That's the only thing that's eternal. And it's fine to care about all these other things. Please, care about a lot of things. But in proportion, care more about eternal things than temporal things. It's not okay to care less about things like people dying and going to hell, not having heard the good news of Jesus. It's not okay to care less about people experiencing God's eternal wrath and judgment while we sit idly by talking about coffee and having opinions about things that only affect us this week. That's not okay. That's misplaced concern. Here's how God words it. Look in um, uh, verse 10. He, the Lord said, you have compassion and sympathy. That's in that word pity. You have compassion and sympathy for this plant. You pity the plant. This plant. You didn't work for this plant. You didn't earn this plant. You didn't make it grow. It, in fact, it was here one night, and it was gone the next day. You didn't even get to experience this plant a long time. And you have deep empathy, sympathy, and compassion over this plant. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? End of Jonah.
There, there are hundreds of thousands of people in and around Nineveh who need to follow God. And there's at least 120,000 who don't even know they're left from the right. That didn't mean all the Ninevites were fools. It meant there were 120,000 that lived very unstable, foolish, subjective, ignorant lives. They didn't have even a law and a rule to say this is left and this is right. It was so subjective. This is right for me. That's left for me. Well, this is left for me. This is right for me. So subjective. No truth. Very unstable. But think of this. Their ignorance and their need is what caused compassion in the heart of God. He says, should I not be compassionate to the people who don't even know they're left from their right? That's what he phrased to Jonah to, to explain his compassion he has towards them. It wasn't their, their goodness that caused this compassion to grow for them. It, it was their wickedness. It was their foolishness. Do you see the compassion of God? The, their ignorance and their need is what caused compassion in the heart of God for them. It's our need, our ignorance, our sin, our instability that, that God is drawn to. It's not our upright performance. It's not our theological accuracy. It's in our deadness, our darkness, our disbelief, and our despair that qualifies us to receive the grace of God, that qualifies us to receive the mercy of God. It's Jesus who comes for our problem. It's Jesus that comes as our solution to our problem. And God sees what Nineveh does and he extends mercy. But then Jonah sees what God does and he's extremely displeased and he's angry. God is slow to anger. Jonah's quick to anger. Jonah wants God's judgment on sinners, but God desires that all come to repentance, believing that Jesus received the judgment that was for sinners. I'm thankful that we get to follow Jesus and not Jonah, but let's be careful to follow Jesus so closely that we respond like Jesus and not like Jonah. Let me ask you this. When others act contrary to God's word and God's way, Contrary to how you feel like is best, are you slow to anger and merciful? Are you pulling for them and praying for them? Or are you much more like a Jonah who desires that they get consumed on the spot by God's wrath and judgment? Remind yourself this, that their story isn't finished. They're on a trajectory just like all of us. And so long as they're alive and they've got oxygen flowing through their lungs and blood through their veins, there is hope that they will change. There is hope that they will call out to God and they will receive mercy and forgiveness and salvation. Don't lose hope. Don't make your, the way you handle them a stumbling block to them actually believing the Jesus that you say you believe. Pray asking God to help you respond like he does to ignorance, sin, and rebellion, like he did the Ninevites. Ask God to help you be more like him and less like Jonah, less like yourself. Like John prayed in John 3.30, that he might increase and we might decrease. Uh, where we make uh, God the one that we want to imitate and not Jonah. Like Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children. God loves to show grace to people who don't know any better. He loves to extend grace to the people who don't know their left from their right in order to change them. He was patient with Nineveh. He was patient with Jonah. He's patient with us. And friend, he's being very patient with you.
God teaches Jonah here in the last few words of his book that Jonah cares a lot more about a plant that has no soul than people who have souls. He's more concerned with the plant dying than people dying. And he's frustrated with God because of God's mercy and kindness. He's angry that people are saved. He's angry that his plant is gone. Again, misplaced concern. And here's what I've observed, noticed myself and in other people. That when our heart is in rebellion against God and not living in humble obedience to God or you're indifferent towards God, you typically have very little ability to discern truly and accurately what is significant and what is special. Here's where we, we've got to be sure to give ourselves to Christian community and the Word of God. We've, we've got to be following closely with those who are fighting the drift by pursuing and living under the Word of God. When you're drifting, these are the first two things to go. Christian influence and the Word of God. And the result is that we're no longer discerning correctly. We're not thinking correctly. Simply put, we don't, spiritually, we don't know our left from our right anymore. If this is you today, call out to God for mercy. And who knows, today might be the day things become radically different for you. Well, the story of Jonah ends with Jonah being really angry. And this is, I was talking to Alex Hoffman about this and Max uh, before our service today. Because we're, we're all just talking about how hard it is to work through the end of Jonah. Like, there's 120,000 people that don't know their left from the right. And there's loads of brisket. There's lots of cattle, and then that's it. It's hard for us to work through Jonah. We talk a lot about the great fish and then going and being a missionary. But when you really look at the whole book in its entirety, specifically how it ends, it's tough to accept because we want resolution. Disney has taught us this. We want a happy ending. We want to know that, that Jonah and Nineveh held hands and skipped and frolicked in the field of daisies, right? But it's not this way. There's not a happily ever after with Jonah. There's a lot of questions. I think part of the difficulty is we want to associate and identify with Jonah. We want to we see his heart changed. We want to see his heart made right so that then we can be like, okay, there's our example that we can follow. I can now associate with, with Jonah, with, with a happiness about it. Let's go be Jonah. And most people, I know I am, pull for Jonah. It's like you're reading like, come on, man, please, <laughs> please. But by God's grace, he doesn't allow Jonah to be the hero of the book of Jonah. God is the hero of the book of Jonah. God loves those that are haters. God loves those who are dead to him. That's all of us. God loves to love those who we often tend to hate. Ephesians 2 says that we all were haters of God, children of wrath. We were all haters before he made us lovers. God loved Jonah. That's very clear. And God loved the Ninevites, enemies of the children of Israel, violent, cruel, that foreign country who hated God, God loved them. I believe that part of why we want to see Jonah get it and do right and get it together, 
Why we want to see Jonah be a success and then associate with Jonah is because we see ourselves an awful lot in Nineveh, and we don't like that. We don't want to associate with Nineveh. We don't want to admit that we have way too much in common with Nineveh. But until we see ourselves as Nineveh, we'll never see our true need for mercy, and we'll never truly celebrate the grace of God given to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We love to see ourselves as the, as the better Jonah who gets it together and does the right thing. We don't want to see ourselves as Nineveh. Like David and Goliath, we want to see ourselves as David. We don't see ourselves as Goliath. In the New Testament, we see ourselves as the disciples. Clumsy, but disciples, we don't see ourselves as Pharisees. But until we see that we're exactly Nineveh, until we see that we're exactly Goliath, until we see that we're exactly the Pharisees, We're never going to experience the grace of being changed by God and being used by God and experiencing the satisfaction of forgiveness. We are much like the Ninevites. We're enemies of God, but God sends us a better Jonah, a better missionary, and a better prophet. He sends us Jesus. And Jesus wasn't a missionary that would care about the death of a plant and not care about the death of people. Jesus was a missionary who would personally experience death himself for the sake of careless sinners who cared a lot more about violence than about himself. And like the plant, except infinitely better, Jesus has shielded us from the scorching heat of judgment of God for us. And Jesus has, much like the plant, died, dying for us. And because we've been so graciously rescued and shown grace and mercy, we now as Christians, as ambassadors of Christ Jesus, get to go proclaim and tell of the good news of the coming kingdom that we're now a part of. And we get to go where the gospel isn't so that the gospel can be heard and received. And many people turn to God with that same heart saying, who knows, he might actually change my heart. This is who we're to be as Christians. But Jesus is so much better than Jonah. He's right. In in Matthew 12, 38, he says that he's the greater Jonah. And he is the greater and better Jonah. Because, you see, Jonah would rather die than see his enemies live. But Jesus died so that his enemies would live. Jonah, if you think about it, he goes outside of town, up on a hill, to see God's enemies destroyed. But Jesus goes outside of town, up on a hill, and dies so that God's enemies become his children. This is the gospel. And you know, through the book of Jonah, the greatest mission field in this book wasn't Nineveh. The greatest mission field in the book of Jonah is Jonah's heart. The hardest soil, the most proud, the darkest place in the story of Jonah wasn't the belly of the fish in the depths of the sea. Nor was it Nineveh in the, in the, the depths of their sin and their violence. The hardest heart, the toughest soil, the most proud, the darkest place in the story of Jonah was the heart of God's servant. It wasn't an experience that Jonah needed. He experienced the grace of God. It wasn't more knowledge that Jonah needed. He tells us himself that he knew the mercy of God. He knew that God was slow to anger. This was fact for him. He knew that God was compassionate. He didn't need more knowledge. Jonah just didn't allow all that to soften his heart. He fought it. He fought God instead of doing this 
in the terms of the Lord and following his way, he followed his own way to the very end. And the result is that his heart was hardened as he insisted on doing things his way. And all this brought about entitlement and pride instead of grace and humility. Christian, please be careful at how you process the grace of God that you have been received and the knowledge of theology that you have received and the grace and mercy of God that you receive every day of your life. Be careful how you process this. When we allow the grace of God to soften us and foster a growing tenderness towards others who are rebels and haters and sinners, we experience a deepening and abiding and growing peace within our hearts. But if we don't, what happens on the inside is bitterness, tension, frustration, heartache, entitlement, and judgment. This isn't the path that Jonah walked. He did not walk with a tenderness towards others and a tenderness towards God. But it can be the path that you walk. Even though Jonah fought this like tooth and nail, God was still interested in Jonah. <laughs> he still continued pulling Jonah back to himself. And to be honest, I'm just as surprised at the mercy that God gave Jonah as I am Nineveh. I'm shocked that he just didn't just let Jonah just go. But he's gracious. Jonah was such a proud knucklehead, but God continued pursuing him. All that God uniquely designed and divinely prepared was meant to pull Jonah back to himself. It was never punishment. This is grace. He is so good to us. One final thought with our time in Jonah. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. What did Jonah do when he was angry at God? What's the first three words? And he, he prayed. Angry, hurt, judgmental Jonah turned to God in prayer. He prayed. He didn't turn to Facebook. My friends who have been legitimately made angry and you've experienced hurt and it's made you cynical and judgmental, please turn to God in this. Don't run from him and don't try to just suppress it. Say it to his face in prayer. Voice your pain, voice your hurt, voice your sadness, voice your shame, voice all this and much more to God in prayer. He can handle anything you say to him. And he knows your thoughts. It's freeing for you to say certain things to him in prayer and not hold them back. He can handle the X-rated words you have. Don't keep it G. Only saying pleasant things. Give it all to him in prayer. Jonah did this. Now that's one thing I can say, hey, let's be like Jonah. When he was hurt and angry, he turned to the Lord in prayer. It's good for you to voice this in prayer and process this in prayer. Well, as a way of weekly turning to God, even in this way, 
Each week we get to share in communion together, the Lord's table. During our time of communion that we're going to now share together, the Lord's table, we do as Jesus commanded us to do and directed us to do. We align our minds and our thoughts on what he accomplished for us. We are Nineveh, and Jesus comes to die in our place for our sins, receiving the punishment that Nineveh deserved so that we can live free, forgiven lives as he experienced the bondage of our sin, the crushing of our judgment, the wrath of God for us. This is what we remember. His righteousness has been given to us and made ours by faith in his work. This is how we are saved. And we have what Jesus prepared for his disciples. We have juice and wine. Or, and we also have bread. And what we do is we take the bread and we dip it into the juice or wine based on your age or conscience. We also have sealed communion cups with juice for those who prefer that. We're going to have servers on either side of the stage, a self-serve station in the back. But as you take and dip and taste, remind yourselves that you were Nineveh, Christian, deserving the judgment of God, but instead he sent you the perfect missionary to suffer and die in your place, to forgive you of your sin by taking on the consequence of your sin for you because he loves you. He loved you in your sin in order to love you through your sin to where you can be with him sinless forever. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. We joyously proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessing be upon this time of remembering you and thinking about you. May the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of remembering, of communion, of worship, and remain with us always. Amen. You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.